The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. We talk about those things that are topical, but we don't just look at the topics as, you know, kind of interesting things that people might be entertained by or disturbed by. Uh, But we look at those topics through the prism of values. And there are Catholic social values, our Catholic teaching. How do we figure out what's going on in the world with the lens of the gospel, with the lens of our tradition? And therefore, how do we form judgments about how we respond to what's going on? I mean, it could be things such as the ordinary things, which, you know, is on a lot of people's minds these days, the issue of public safety, of crime. How do we think about that? And, um, you know, to go a little bit down that path, you know, we think about it through the lens of justice, clearly, and we think about it through the issue of of restoration. We think about it through the justice of human dignity. And, you know, it's interesting because crime is public safety and particularly Violent crime against individuals is something that is really so very, very difficult, very challenging in so many ways. And we've got to look at primarily uh, how that impacts people. First of all, you know, the person who is the victim of a crime, you know, that person's rights have been taken away, their rights to their own kind of well-being, their own safety, their own security. It's taken away from them when they are violently attacked. And whether there's a robbery, not a robbery, uh, if there's serious physical damage, that's even worse, or a murder. That is just the ultimate kind of loss in in a violent crime where somebody's life is taken away. And so there, from our Catholic perspective, that needs to be dealt with. And from our Catholic perspective, we also believe that the person who commits the crime is also made in God's image and likeness. And here's a distinction which, you know, sometimes is not clear to understand. I mean, well, I'm sorry, it's not easily understood, especially in our world, which doesn't like a lot of nuance. I mean, we can have, we can understand that the person who perpetrates a crime is somebody who is made in God's image and likeness, but we don't excuse the fact that the committing of that crime is wrong because it violates the rights of another person. And so our concern for public safety says that people should be able to walk down the street at the same time. Then where we also say is, but hold on for a moment. We have to make sure that the person who is accused of a crime gets a fair opportunity to defend themselves if they didn't do it. If they didn't do it, even though they're accused, they need a fair opportunity to say, wait a minute, it's a mistake. You arrested me, you arraigned me, but it wasn't me. I wasn't there. And we know how often that does happen. But even if the individual is guilty and the person should be and deserves to be punished, and from our perspective, our Catholic perspective, we think that that is a legitimate response to protecting human rights. But we also have to make sure that the 
punishment does fit the crime. So that if somebody does something minor, well, they should be punished, but it should be a minor punishment. And we know, and this is just the reality. The reality is that in our society, economics makes a difference. That sometimes people who have more resources, or many times, most times, when people have more resources, they can better defend themselves. They can buy a better legal team. And people who don't sometimes languish in, quote unquote, the system, because they don't have the resources to defend themselves. And so I guess I'm bringing up the issue of crime and public safety because it is on so many people's minds. But we approach that with our Catholic belief in rights, in responsibilities, the dignity of the human person, safety, all of those we bring to bear. And so that's when we, and I would guess one of the things, Tom, from my perspective on much of political policy today or what we do as a society, for the most part. I don't think slogans get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And too often we're substituting slogans for real looking at what the right, you know, policy is. Whatever those um those slogans are, I don't think they're adequate from our Catholic perspective to figuring out how we should deal with very, very important issues that affect millions of people's lives. So anyway, Tom, I went on a little bit, a little bit too <laughs> long on that. Um, but I do think it's a it's a critically important thing. And I want to give our listeners a little sense how we look at a at an issue that everybody is concerned about, but we do bring on just love a Catholic perspective to mm-hmm. it. How do we view it through our prism? We recognize the reality, and then we say, well, how are we going to think about it? How are we going to respond to it? But having said that, let's move on to not violence and hate. <laughs> and that. Well, let's move on to love. Can mm-hmm. we move on to love, Tom? I would like that, Mr. I think we need a little more love in the world. <laughs> well, we need a lot more love in the world. And, you know, again, from our Catholic perspective, love has a lot of different meanings. It has you know, the meaning of novels, the meaning of sexual love, but the meaning of sacrificial love, mm-hmm. the meaning of friendship, the meaning of Christian love, the love of Jesus on the cross. So the word love means a lot of different things. And, you know, if we did the little translation, Catholic charities, charities, caritas, the mm-hmm. Latin word translated as both charity and love. And so, you know, and Tom, what's coming up very soon? Valentine's Day. <laughs> ah, and Valentine's Day is a day in which kind of our society says it's all about romantic love. It's about mm-hmm. uh, couples getting together, celebrating their love for each other. And that's wonderful. It is because, again, from our Catholic perspective, human love, we believe, is a wonderful part of how we were made, our social being from the beginning of time in the book of Genesis, in the garden, in it, very shortly after creation. However, it's not always easy to find mm-hmm. the right partner in love. And sadly, there are still a lot of divorces in our society. So people who 
think they were going to be together forever aren't. But so I am delighted that we're going to talk about the um, Catholic Match, which mm-hmm. is a website for single Catholics that tries to put together uh, individuals with maybe like experiences. So I'm happy to welcome to Just Love, um, Mariette Rintoul, who is the Community Experience Director at Catholic um, a Catholic Match. Uh, Mariette, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Monsignor. Great. So tell our listeners, how did you get involved in this thing? Sure. Well, are you saying about the uh, the conference as a whole? Well, you got a job now, right? I got a job now. Yeah, I actually. So how'd, you, how'd you wind up in the job? <laughs> I used to work for Catholic Singles and eventually Catholic Match acquired Catholic Singles and I was brought on board, um, but I met my spouse on Catholic Match. And so it worked out really kind of serendipitously to end up with working for the site I met my husband on. So when we see when we see an ad on television, you are you are not merely the spokesperson. You are the testimony. Yes, I am a success story, too. Ah, that is great. That is that is good. So anyway, you know, um, tell us a little bit about Catholic Match. I mean, you know, I remember my parents telling me and, you know, this goes back, you know, decades and decades 75 years or so ago when they met, they were just telling me about, well, how they met in a pub and they met each other there. And that's where all their friends hang out. But different world now, right? Yeah, yeah. We we live, I feel like, in a more secular society. More and more, the people at the pub or your neighbor might not share your faith. You know, I think it might have been more common in the past to more easily bump into somebody that, you know, shares what you believe in my... So Mariette, Mariette, I like what you're saying, because I think if I'm reading into what you're saying, you're saying that the pub is a sacred place? <laughs> You know, but I, I read I read a little while ago, and I don't know if it's true, but I read an article, and it was a story saying that there was a man, um, you know, in the last hundred years, and he advertised for a wife, a good Catholic wife, in a German newspaper, just seeking a good Catholic wife, and a woman responded to him, and they got married, and we know their son as Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Oh. So, well, we certainly, you know, more naturally have always connected, you know, locally, mutual friends in our parish someone we knew from school there's always been i think an element of just openly seeking a spouse and sometimes god has put great catholic marriages together in unconventional ways <laughs> all right so i think that's that's good i mean you know advertising is i guess one way to do it um so so tell us a little bit about how catholic match works sure so um it's like many other dating sites in that you just sign up, you get a profile, you don't have to pay to use the site. You obviously get more functionality when you do, but you can have a completely free profile. Oh, you, you do. Marianne, I got to stop you because I, I, I am so annoyed that when I sign up for a free app, mm-hmm. like, you know, and I don't need all the bells and whistles. 
Mm-hmm. But every time I use it, I get all these pop-up ads that I got to figure out how to get rid of telling me that my life would be so much better if I signed for the premium version. So you guys at Catholic Match are into that same thing? Well, I mean, we're not constantly badgering anyone, but <laughs> it's a business that has to pay our staff because okay. our developers and I need to eat as well. Okay, okay good. <laughs> but no, so. we're not constantly badgering. And you can actually do a lot on the site with a free um, subscription. In fact, a lot of people meet a spouse without ever paying a dime. And so it's totally possible. Um, but yeah, you set up, you make a profile, you're able to share um, a little bit about yourself, you know, how what the faith is for you teachings of the church you accept, and then we'll match you with people. Oh, we also have a temperament quiz. The four temperaments, I think, are an awesome way to understand more about other people and so how to relate to them. So we have the temperaments quiz. And yeah, you you can be matched with people based off of your answers to things and as well just run searches for people in the area or age range that you are interested in. So a little bit of a little bit of facts and statistics. How many um what do you call them? Enrollees or participants? What do you call the people who? They're just members, just members. Okay. So how many members do you have? There's there's tens of thousands of members at any given time. It's constantly changing because people leave, they meet someone. Um, I just saw the other day, we've had over 500 people cancel their accounts since the start of the year because they say they met someone on the site and they're moving oh. off site. So how, um, many new, how many new people signed up? Uh, I haven't looked at those numbers, but it's it's it exceeds who leaves usually. Okay. It's, it's always changing its influx, but it's a it's a very robust group of people. We're the largest Catholic dating app in the world, so no one has more members than us. Okay, so that's that's that is that that sounds really really good. So walk us through a little bit of the process about so somebody signs up, what happens? So they, you'll likely get a lot of interest from people at first because obviously new profiles get featured. You know, here's new members that you might be interested in, but you start browsing members, they browse you, they can send likes, they, you know, someone can send you a message and you just start communicating. And that's how I met my husband. We've both been on and off several times. And one time I decided, oh, I'm going to try Catholic Match again. And I got him a message from another member and, and everything worked out. And so it just is a great way to disconnect. Um, kind of similar to a social media feel, you know, someone's on a Facebook group, you can message people and things. It's just similar to that. Um, What are, what are some of the maybe misconceptions that people may have about a quote unquote dating site, a matching site? Um, I think a lot of people think it's only for either young people, but we actually have members of all ages. We have a, a very large 55 plus community, um, especially, you know, people end up, you know, divorced and annulled. Someone is widowed. You know, we have lots of people of all ages, which I think surprises people. And I also think people kind of have this idea that only a desperate person goes online. But my husband always has this great quote, he says, God doesn't drive parked cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> to do. And so if you feel that God is calling you, there's so many really wonderful, awesome people on there. Like my husband, you know, there was nothing weird or desperate about Ethan. He just hadn't met the right person in, you know, his local parish and decided to kind of cast a wider net. So, um, could you, simple word, do you allow non-Catholics on? We do if they are actively open or investigating, you know, becoming Catholic. Okay. Okay. Um, Because, I I mean, seriously, I could imagine 
somebody saying, you know, I like those Catholics. They got some good values and stuff like that. I'm not Catholic, but you know, I'd rather I'd rather look for somebody who's got some values who's on this this site would be good. So I I could I could see somebody you know saying that it's just yeah, like sometimes, you know yes. in other businesses. I mean, certain ethnic groups have certain trades or specialties that they're really good at, and you know you may want a plumber of a particular group. I mean, mm. it's, it's not absolute and you got to be a little careful yeah. that you're not discriminating. Mm. But, you know, if you, you know, we all know that people cluster in different ways. So. Sure, sure. No, as long as someone is actively open to the faith, you know, if they're reading and investigating, maybe attending RCIA, they're, they're more than welcome to join. Yeah. Yeah. So. so I think one of the things that, we're all afraid of and we're all fearful of in terms of, you know, online and sites and things like that. Um, how do you weed out the creeps? <laughs> well, we actually have a really, really robust security system that we catch most scammers within about 48 hours. So if there's an actual weirdy scammer, you know, we, we get them out right away. People can report anything that looks suspicious. So we're very proactive and good about that. Um, you know, there's no like guaranteed way. We do have um, the ability for members to block people more than 15 years younger or older than them from reaching out if they want to. Um, because, you know, if someone's really seeking outside their age range, there could be something maybe off there. Right. And so we give members the ability to, to manage who can contact them a little bit as well. But for the most part, well, of course there's scammers. Of course there's just weird people out there. There's just so many wonderful people too. So as long as you're just open and faithful, you'll have great conversations and meet lots of great people as well. So, you know, interesting you picked that because um, there's somebody on our staff here at Catholic Charities. Uh, she's put forth the rule that people shouldn't date if there's more than 15 years <laughs> apart that I don't know how that was picked out, but that was, so you guys have, have chosen, chosen that. Give our listeners a, by the way, we're speaking with uh, Mariette Rintoul, who is the community experience director at Catholic match. And she can give personal testimony that she met her husband on Catholic match. So give our listeners just, a little bit. I know it's all different, but if you were to kind of, you know, make a model of of how it works mm-hmm. when it works successfully, you know, give a listen, walk through somebody. So, of course, there are sometimes cases where people meet someone right away. I have a friend who literally met her husband within 24 hours of signing up. He was the first person to message her. So you will sometimes find someone right away. You will also sometimes find someone really close you weren't expecting. I have a friend who met her husband 15 minutes away their whole lives apart in a big city, never met each other. But for the most part, you'll join, there'll be kind of a flurry of activity. And if you don't meet the person in that first initial boost of people for new members, it tends to get kind of quiet for a while. And the people that successfully meet their spouse, they're just patient and faithful, kind of like trying to meet people at church or at a club or at the pub. It just takes patience and God's timing. So I feel like the average success story, they're on for a good number of months, maybe a year or so, year or two. Um, You know, there's so many different success stories. So, you know, God's 
story is so different for everyone, but that is usually the, the average success story is someone that sticks with it, with it, they're patient because people are always signing up. So it can just take a little time for those members to rotate through. So those that stick with it and are patient, they tend to be the most successful. So <clears throat> you mentioned it. Do you have, do you have a favorite story about my, my own story? <laughs> well, you brought it up, Sharon. Yeah. So my husband messaged me. He recognized my parish in a photo I had shared. He had visited my same city across the country once a few years before. And he messaged and said, Mariette, I've been to your church before. Your pastor there picked me up when I was at a seminary discernment weekend once. It's such a great parish. And we just dove into this great conversation and it was just so unique how there were, I was probably at mass the day he visited my parish. I used to go to mass every single day um, in that time. And so I thought, what a, what a neat, you know, connection that he'd literally been there and, and God brought us together all that time later. So. And, and so, um, so you guys weren't even in the same city. No, I was in North Idaho and my husband was in Cleveland, Ohio. We were so very you, far apart. So you had an LDR. Yes, we did. And actually, there's a lot of long distance relationships. People are usually very hesitant. I was, I used to always mark no one more than like 200 miles away. And finally, God kind of impressed upon my heart, like, don't you just trust me? And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll let go. I'll trust Mm -hmm. you. And Ethan messaged me 48 hours later and, and God sorted everything out for me to be able to relocate in that case. And it all worked out fine. So Ah, that is, that is, that is wonderful. Um, you know, do you see this kind of as the future of, 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 of maybe even a growing way that people are going to meet with each other? Oh, yeah. I think that right now they say statistically one out of every three or four marriages initially started with an online connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just becoming almost a standard, even if you are going to young adult groups at your parish or different support groups or at the pub or have your clubs. I mean, people ha- go- seeking online at least once is is becoming almost standard. Are there kind of either guidelines or or advice that you give to kind of make sure it is a little bit safer? Um, Sure. I mean, we screen photos to make sure if anything inappropriate is ever uploaded, anything violent, you know, immodest, et cetera, you know, we'll, we'll get anything extreme off the, you know, we, we pre-approve things. Um, We, we have great safety recommendations. We even have video chatting through the site. So people, you're unsure about someone you can video chat right on the site without ever giving away any of your personal contact information, you know, just to see if this person, you know, appears to be who they say in their profile. And we always hide last names. Um, you know, we, we, we provide, you know, a lot of safety guidelines to make things as smooth as possible. I imagine that you got a real boost in terms of membership during COVID. Yes, I know that there was. I was not at Catholic Match yet at that time, but I know there definitely was because it kind of drove everybody online for everything. And and that has only just increased, it feels like, people just seeking it out. Like it just kind of helped it become the norm. Well, and and that was that's absolutely true, but people weren't interacting at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weren't interacting commuting. They weren't interacting as much in social gatherings. So there wasn't some of those more traditional in-person ways to do it 
Yeah. So I, that's why I assume you had a little bit yeah. of a boom. No, I, I know it did. I was still at Catholic Singles at that time and um, before Catholic Match had purchased them. And there was a huge increase um, yeah. over there. So yeah, people definitely, it, it really changed patterns of how people see it even more. Do you see any, like, where do you see the future going in terms of this? Well, I mean, we're we're really building at Catholic Match, trying to support singles, not just in like a dating app, but in just single life altogether. You know, we're hosting the Relate Conference this week, and it's a conference people can attend online. We have 19 different talks by people like the Stefanics and um, Bobby and Jackie Angel trying to provide lots of resources. Catholic Match Plus has, and our YouTube channel has tons of blog posts and videos about everything, you know, related to relationships and living as a single Catholic. So we're really trying to to, to really build a, a one-stop place for people, not just for online dating, but really like being supported as a single Catholic and meeting someone and navigating relationships. It's it's really, we're trying to build it so that people have really great resources and support wherever they are. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the conference. Sure. So um, they can just go to relatecatholic.com and you can register for free. There's 19 talks. There's going to be some um, round tables. There's a married couple round table with um, people like the Stefanics and Damon and Melanie Owen. There's going to be um, a singles round table. There's discussion from some Catholic marriage and family therapists. I'm hosting a live workshop tomorrow about um, uh, profiles and first messages and how to make them great. But everything is is there to try to give people great pre-recorded and live content that they can consume about all. Okay. So I want to preview. What's the best first message? The best first message is a unique first message. It's something that shows that you took the time to look at that person's profile and, and seek out more information about them. It's something that's not copy and pasted. Okay. So let me translate what you said. Well, or, pick up and may, if I'm putting words in your mouth, correct me. <laughs> Basically the first message should be about them, not so much about you. Oh, absolutely. And showing that you really read it, you know, you'll see people say, I'm not having any success. You know, here's what I'm sending to people and it's a copy and pasted message. Hey, how are you? What are you doing this weekend? And it's like, ah, I mean, people get 30 of those, you know, in a week, right. you, you really want to see the individual, you know, that makes a huge difference. So I've got all the do's and don'ts on on those messages in my workshop that'll hopefully help people to be more effective. Okay, that is that is great. So thank you so much. So, oh no, I have to ask this question. <laughs> okay. So what are you doing for Valentine's Day? Well, I'm doing three other interviews for Catholic Match. <laughs> and then my husband and I are putting the children to bed early and having our own fancy dinner date at home. And the babysitter's coming on Saturday because no one wants to go out on Valentine's Day. There's too many people. <laughs> okay. So you're kind of having Valentine's Day a few days later? Yes. Okay. What are you doing? Uh, we're just going to go out to dinner. It's going to okay. be great dinner. Maybe make a stop by the Adoration Chapel on the way did there. You, did you pick the place or did he? We have not picked the place yet. Isn't oh. I haven't picked the place yet. I just got the babysitter lined up. That's like <laughs> as far as I've so, gotten. So which part of the world are you guys living in now? So we are in Rapid City, South Dakota. We moved okay. to the Black Hills. So Okay. Well, that is great. Hey, um, Marat, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and sharing with our listeners yeah, about Catholic Math. Thank, thank you so much. God bless you. Great. Marriott. 
Rintoul, who is the Community Experience Director at Catholic Match, which is the largest and the most successful website for single Catholics. And Marriott can testify to that because she actually found her husband on the site. Tom, I think we will take a break and we'll be back in just a minute. This is just love. Just do it. Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. And if we all did that, our world would be more just and it would be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. And we're getting ready for Valentine's Day, Day of Love, Day of Romance. But from our Kirsten perspective, We know that as important as those things are, love has a much broader meaning. And I don't hesitate to say a deeper meaning. It relates to the love of Jesus on the cross, the sacrificial love. And where it does, I think, relate to Valentine's Day is because obviously Valentine's Day has a notion of romance. And for most people, that romance, they would hope, might lead to marriage. And if it does lead to married love, then romantic love, married love, also needs to take into consideration the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. Because married couples 
for their marriage to last requires that love be sacrificial. And in two primary ways. One, there has to be the willingness to sacrifice for the good of the spouse, which is one and first. But also, when children come along, there is a lot of sacrifice that married couples and parents need to do in order to raise their children well. So while on Valentine's Day may focus on romantic love and all the talk of candy and flowers and cards, which is wonderful, but that does hopefully in many people lead ultimately to married love, which then kind of picks up the cross of Jesus in addition to the wonderfully supportive and wonderfully growing parts of married love. There are also the sacrificial parts, both with spouses, with each other, and with children. So um, so as we get ready for Valentine's Day, we wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. And a focus on love is never, never a bad thing, even though it has a very multifaceted meeting. Many of the, most of them are very good, some not quite so good, but uh, it's a very um, good, uh, good time to focus on love and love from a Christian perspective. You know, in addition to Valentine's Day, February is Black History Month. And so I am very grateful that Tom has arranged for the chair of the public administration department at Medgar-Devers College in New York City, Dr. Zulema Blair, to speak with us during uh, Black History Month. Um, Dr. Blair, thank you for taking the time to be with us, and thank you that you can hear me. Um, (laughs) So anyway, so would you give our listeners, I know one of the main things I want to talk about is, you know, the fact we're reading that there are a number of of Black families who are leaving urban areas. But first of all, give our listeners, because we're throughout the country and maybe people are not aware. Tell us a little bit about Black History Month and how that came to be. Um, So um, Black History Month um, is something um, that started as a result of really people wanting to... um, It's an annual observance. Let me just start there. And it starts with the uh, recognition um, throughout. And it's not just in the U.S., it's in Canada, et cetera. And it's just been a way of remembering the importance of individuals, if you will. And it started in the U.S., I want to say right after the Great Depression. Okay. Um, and uh, Carter G. Woodson um, is 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 one of the founders, uh, the, the person that obviously author of uh uh, uh, the Negro, the study of uh, of Negro life and history. And so um, Frederick Douglass, uh, Mary Church Terrell, a lot of different peoples um, had, people had their hand in it. And so here we are um, still celebrating just one month out of the year um, for Black people. And there's been a lot of attack, if you will, on um, the curriculum um, that goes with Black History Month. And I always go back to it, whatever crisis we have in America, in Black America, and in the Black community, uh, what are 
what are we teaching in the public schools? What is the curriculum or in any school, right? What is the curriculum based on? And is it a mandate for individuals to learn this history? Um, and then you often find that it's often circumvented and, uh, and then incidents happen as a result of it. Yep, and that's that. That's great. Thank you for bringing that up to our to our listeners. You know, um, I I note that you have served as a redistricting research director, and one of the things that I'm aware of, just generically, in the past ten years in New York City, I know that better. Is there's been a bit of a of some change in some of the demographics. Some ethnic groups, racial groups have increased, the number others have decreased. And so I know that um, that there's been at least a slight decrease, I believe, in the Afro-American population in New York City in the past, past 10 years. And then there's been some reading, writing about movement out of the urban areas. You want to talk a little bit about that? Share that with our listeners. What's going on? Um, Yes. So uh, we often think of people of African descent, aka the Black population, the Black race, the Black community as being a monolithic group. Um, But certainly people have a right to self-identify with um, many of their subgroups and ethnicities, and some may be by um, region, uh, of the United States, or it may simply be um, throughout the Black diaspora. And so we have African Americans, um, Native New Yorkers, and we also have people everywhere else. And so it's it may be um, people from the South, majority of which um, being the Great Migration, Harlem, etc. And also we have Afro-Latinos, Afro-Asian, and the continental Africans. And so uh, what's happening is um, people are struggling um, here in New York City, the African-American population. Over the last 10 years, income has stagnated uh, in New York City. Uh, Job uh, uh, promotions and growth uh, have stagnated. And so you find a lot of flight. You find that there is a migration back to the South for people who don't have um, or people who are retiring. We have an aging population. We have individuals who are, um, we have a decrease in the number of individuals under 18. So you don't have that resurgence of a Black population. But on the other side, you have, you know, depending on the immigration policy in any given decade, you have an increase in Afro-Latino population. You have an increase in the Afro-Asian population, um, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, uh, and you have an increase in continental Africans, uh, people from all over, Nigeria, uh, Ghana. And so that's where the balance is out. But individuals who are um, not from New York are returning to where they find better comfort, better, um, you know, quality of life for the income that they receive. And, and then you have an aging population who said, you know, we just want to go South and retire. Yeah. Is, uh, and how much of that do you factor, do you contribute to the pandemic? Um, so this was happening before the pandemic. Right. Um, of course the pandemic, what it did was 
you know, uh, magnified um, the lens through we saw a lot of these different issues. Uh, it was happening um, throughout the decade, 2010 to 2020, and the pandemic happened in 2020. So that count uh, that we see that that's de declining or on a decline uh, was happening long before. We saw, let, we can go back to 2008. We really should attribute it to foreclosure, um, the housing crisis, right? And uh, the economic boom that left so many of us behind, as I said, income was stagnating. So it started there. Um, the, the pandemic obviously brought it to a peak, but this has been happening throughout the decade. And in fact, the peak of when Black out-migration um, happened in many of our, our Black neighborhoods was in, say, about 2015, 2016. Okay, so... so it did it it's been going on for a while that is that is there you know it's interesting i do think you mentioned the aging population um actually i just got an email earlier today from somebody not afro american who had retired a few years ago uh worked in a nursing home and just let me know that he and his wife had relocated to Florida that, you know, he didn't give a reason, but you can imagine he, they like the weather. They like less taxes. They like cost of living. So it, it's, it's, you know, that movement is, I think, is a reality for New York City that people move in and out. Mm -hmm. um, what you found um, that we could attribute a lot to the pandemic when this housing issue came to a peak or to the forefront, if you will, um, with this pandemic within a pandemic, uh, was uh, a lot of people moved next door to New Jersey. A lot of um, younger Black families who appreciated the geographical amenities, et cetera, and wanted to raise their families amongst this amongst these amenities, they moved right next door to New Jersey. So that is also a contribution to why we see young adults um, not raising families in New York. You know, but and I'm going to just speak very personally because mm -hmm. I live in a church which is right near Grand Central Station. Mm -hmm. I, we've noticed that since the pandemic, mm -hmm. we have a lot more young adults who have moved into that area than previously. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know whether some of the older people have moved out and new people are coming in, mm -hmm. but we've been amazed at the number of young adults from different parts of the country mm -hmm. who are here at least for the time being. How long they're going to last, who knows? Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it, it's so do you see the trend continuing of kind of people moving out or um, I, I, I do, um, unless um, we come up with um, some real and I'm not talking about just a Band-Aid, right? Real yeah. programs that allow uh New Yorkers, if you will, people of African descent that live in New York or people who were born in New York City to afford um, homeownership, yeah. um, right? Because the, it, the more um, the you, you own your own home, the less likely you are to move, right? Because you feel right. like you have a stake here. So, you know, what we're seeing is that only 30% of Black New Yorkers own a home. 
Um, that's down from 50 years before when we had redlining. Uh, so um, let's say that, you know, uh, uh, an overt way of redlining doesn't exist or a covert way of uh, uh, redlining doesn't exist. But, it you know, we had a lot more progressiveness, I think, um, once the problem was discovered during that 1960s, 19 whatever era, civil rights era to 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 move in a direction that guaranteed some type of safety net for uh, African-Americans. Fast forward to 2020, 2023, et cetera, that number has declined or that percentage has declined. Well, yes, we do have more African-Americans. We do have more people of African descent. However, when you see that some ethnicities within the, the diaspora is, is moving upward and some are moving uh, uh, or stagnated or moving backwards, you have to wonder what is going on um, because educational levels are higher, but income is not rising with educational levels. So if there were, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Zulema Blair, who is the chair of public administration at Medgar of the College in uh, New York City, City University of, of New York. If there were, Dr. Blair, a few policy recommendations that you would make to deal with the situation, what would they be? Um, I, I think a lot of things that are holding people up is not um, some of the banks that have picked up some of these mortgages uh, or these lenders that have picked up some of the mortgages or loan servicers. They refuse to do business in New York or they have not gotten licenses to do business with New York. So we need people who are sensitive to this New York City area, uh, to what it takes to to have some of these policies uh, perform in New York City. So we need mortgage companies to really be attuned to New York City. Um, because they certainly are in other parts of the country. They certainly are in the South. It's very easy, right? I don't want to make it look like it's trivial, but it's it's a lot easier to purchase in other states than it is in New York City. And so the programming has to go with the companies. It has to go with the banks. Yeah, and I mean, uh, uh, speaking more broadly, it seems to me that in so many ways, and you just pointed out one very important ways, it is really, really very difficult to do business in New York. We have never met a regulation we haven't liked. And there is a lot of red tape that has to be done for everything. And I, I can imagine how difficult that red tape might be for a new homeowner in New York to try to negotiate mortgages, zoning, building codes, all of those type of things. Uh, additionally, um, on some of the boards, um, New York City has uh, a lot of different boards. There are very few um, African-Americans. I mean, it's not just home ownership; it's also rentals, right? There are very few people of African descent on these boards that make a lot of the policies for New Yorkers. Um, the rent guidelines uh, board, there's, there, there aren't any. Um, and some of the others, the museums, et cetera, you hardly see uh, things that could, could be more beneficial for different communities. You hardly see 
uh, 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 African Americans part of this policymaking structure. So mm-hmm. it's all around. Um, it's really, you know, what is the Black agenda? What have we uh, come up with? To we we hear about it, we talk about it. But what can we come up with to do it? One is have more people on the boards. Two, really address this. Um, and, and the Racial Justice Commission was put in place for this. Really address these cost of living uh, statuses and and not exempt any institution from it. Not exempt the the public agencies. Not exempt um, corporations because it seems like a lot of times we just go after corporations. But a lot of times these things happen right in government's backyard. So not exempting anyone from it and really uh, trust uh, the black think tanks to do the study and do the research because they are uh, necessary for it. Professor Zulema Blair, chair of public administration. Thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. And thank you for sharing with our listeners your your insights. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, Tom, I think it's time for us to take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just than it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, 
Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love, Just Do It. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We look at what's going on in the world through our perspective of Catholic social teaching. Excuse me. One of the things we looked at this week was Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day, excuse me, (coughs) Valentine's Day is about love. But we look at it from the perspective of Christian love, not to diminish romantic love and the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, Tom, we we kind of talk about a lot of holidays, etc. Do you like Valentine's Day or don't like it or you don't care? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm kind of neutral on it, but I, I actually, I would lean towards liking it. Only because I, I do like all of the, you know, it's it's really nice in the winter doldrums to kind of look around and see all the hearts and, you know, all the colors and go to Dunkin' Donuts and see the heart-shaped donuts and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. So I like it. But, you know, okay. I mean, uh, you know, I don't I don't have a Valentine unless you count right. my niece and my mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those are the only two Valentines I really have. So other than that, it's not like that kind of day that I really celebrate, you know. Right buy a dinner or something, but I do like it. How about, how about you? Um, I, you know, I think I'm a little bit like you, but the, one of the reasons I do like it is because there's a lot of chocolate around. Ah, yes. And I like (laughs) chocolate flowers, not so much, but chocolate. I Mm kind of like, um, you also, you're right. It's, it's not a day where you want to, where you want to go out to dinner. Oh, no. It's like, I see one of the things I really don't like is going out to dinner on big holidays. So I don't like going out to dinner on uh, Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas. Now, Valentine's Day isn't a big holiday, but it's one that you want to avoid going out to dinner on. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) It's it's not a good. You know what? The other thing is, I think on Valentine's Day. Because so many people go out to dinner, don't they usually have those uh, set menus? And they and I like they that. do. Yeah, I yeah. Don't like that. I don't and know. they always and then besides Monsieur, they jack up the price. Ah, <laughs> well, it's hard to know how they jack up the price more than they have been in the past. This is and, this is true. You know, it's, you know, it's it's interesting, Tom. You know what I think? Let's let's have in the future a guest who can deal, I know we dealt with inflation, but it does seem to me that one of the areas that is most, most heavily impacted is food. Mm-hmm. I'll, tell you a little, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, for the, the church, the rectory I live in, I'm the only one living there at the moment. There's not another priest. And so once a month or once every six weeks, I go to you know one of the big stores, BJ's, Costco's, whatever they're, you know, to buy some of the staples. I was talking to the cashier and we were having a good conversation because she was complaining with her na- about her neighbor complaining about the prices of eggs. And apparently eggs yes. really become expensive. And she was pushing her store because she said, well, hey, you know, the eggs are much cheaper here. But 
you know, I listen to conversations like that because it's people who are actually buying stuff, dealing it, checking it out. They have a very good sense of what prices are. And the price of groceries have really, really kind of gone through through the roof. And that that impacts poor people more than it impacts other people because they don't have a lot of choices mm-hmm. and they need to buy buy food. So it's a very, very challenge. So we should kind of talk about that a little bit, how it impacts people's lives and and how food is a particularly volatile commodity in terms of in terms of the price. I think yeah. it's, it's it's you know we find it at food pantries. All of us when we go out, you know, maybe to dinner, we go to the grocery store, we we realize it really impacts people's people's livelihoods. Exactly. So anyway, Tom, thank you for the guests that we have gathered this week. I think we had some good conversations of Catholic Match about Black History Month and migration in New York City. So let's just love God, love our neighbor, love ourselves, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.